Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yo, 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 yo. What is going on, everybody? And welcome back to a brand new season of the Believe in Rugby podcast show on the Believe Podcast Network, which is the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? To get the show back on the road, guys, I have a pretty special guest, and today's episode will feature the second female I've had on the podcast so far, an international rugby player and coach, Tiffany Fay. Now, Tiff is somebody that came to the U.S. because of the game of rugby. She is originally originally from New Zealand and um, earned her first cap as a USA Eagle in 2015 playing against Canada. And um, she also captained the U.S. team at the 2017 World Cup competition where the U.S. finished fourth overall. And pretty much after her playing career came to an end, she took up coaching and became the first female coach to coach a men's professional rugby team in the history of the sport, which is insane and awesome. So we're going to learn a lot about Tiffany on this episode and um, she's going to talk to us about how she got into the game, some of her most special moments on Team USA. And honestly, I think you guys are going to find some of her stories pretty cool and um, pretty special. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode of a new season, the kickstart of a new season of the Believe in Rugby podcast show. <music> Well, let's get right into it. Um, you know, I know you grew up in Auckland, New Zealand, and I can I can imagine that you know the game of rugby might have been pretty popular um, in that area. So, what I want to ask you is: Was rugby a sport that you wanted to play at first, or were you sort of convinced or forced, or how did you get into playing rugby and getting involved with the sport? Yeah. Um... So I, I don't know if there was ever a moment where I was like, I want to play rugby, you know, but I I think what happened was we just played, we grow up playing all sorts of variations of it, you know, we played a lot of touch and a lot of flag. Um, but I think, right. you know, I, I started playing for church, you know, we always had inter-church competitions and with touch rugby, I, I found that I was pretty good at it, you know, I was pretty fast, I was pretty um, good with footwork and my hands weren't too bad um so I just yeah just enjoyed it I liked how it made me feel you know it, it meant that I was getting to I don't know use my voice a lot more which you know being a Polynesian at home it's it's kind of the opposite you know you just sort of head down bum up get your work done so I yeah I think that's where my love for the sport grew you know we, we played in the car parks sometimes on the streets you know we wouldn't even have a rugby ball at times <laughs> we sometimes like just use someone's shoe or something um, but I, yeah, when I got to high school, um, a friend of mine, her dad was the groundskeeper and came on board with the idea of starting a team up and, um, obviously they needed numbers. So I, that was my first experience joining a contact, contact version of rugby. And I just haven't looked back. <laughs> it was, it was so good. I enjoyed it. Wow. So, at, so what, how old were you when you said that you were playing in the street when, it was only a shoe and you guys didn't have a ball like what <laughs> yeah I mean that's uh that's since we were way young like I don't know 10 upwards you know because uh -huh. 
luckily we live like at the end of a cul-de-sac very short you know so it wasn't busy it wasn't a main street and everyone plays it it's a bit like how I see basketball now you know you're just walking down the road just random pick up games um even soccer so rugby's like that touch rugby's like that okay we had uh yeah we could play some 66 just us kids you know like right. in the in the 90s how they say you played till the street lights come on <laughs> yeah. right right yeah that, that's awesome um so like at what point in your career I want to ask did you realize that like hey I'm good enough to play pro or at least um play rugby for a long time or play pro at play at the pro level yeah I mean at the highest level right I wish it was pro for women but we're working on it <laughs> um I think it was just the the interest and the investment from people around me and just coaches around me always going hey we want you to play you know um I felt like there was a lot of support you know and I think some coaches saw that I played it just for the love of it but I they saw that it wasn't something that I guess it wasn't a priority you know um so just learning off everyone around me telling me hey look if you really gave this a go you know you could go somewhere um I think that's what sort of stirred the pot. And then, you know, so I was like, okay, so I committed to my high school team and then I was invited to some regional, you know, representative stuff and um, every camp, every step, just comparing myself to those around me, I, I felt more and more confident that, you know, maybe this is something that, that I could really commit to. Um, and I think, yeah, just, just the interest and the support from around me and just, um yeah how much the love for the game and the love to learn more and the hunger to see how good I could get just grew you know as I got older as more opportunities came my way um I was invited to like a, a Black Friends which is the New Zealand women's team when I was um still in high school actually I was invited to come in and and sort of have a look you know sort of like a talent ID camp and even those opportunities you know you just don't think of it. You're just like, yeah, okay. You know, when you're that young, you just show up. And I think, yeah, it took me a while. <laughs> um, but again, it was because of, you know, mom and me being the oldest and my dad, I think I never really sat down and, and thought about what I want to do. So it was a lot of the, the rugby opportunity I was taking on board was there, but mostly because of the love of it and the love of seeing how far I could right. go. Also, you have seven. Yeah, yeah, I'm the oldest of five, and um, wow, yeah, four of us were all born here. Like, there was four of us all under the age of five, so you know, very tight. And admit we were all in high school at the same time. And you know, um, luckily rugby is a cheap sport. You know, you don't need much money. So when I asked my fuck of mm -hmm. play, she was for her. It was more like coming home so late. Otherwise. Um, she knew that I had enough support with, you know, I had coaches offering to pay for some of my dues and boots. And so I'm very, very right. fortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, opportunities like that came up and then I, I would try out, you know, and definitely there are a couple of times where I didn't make it. Like I even tried out for the Samoa Union team. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, it was a okay. blessing, right? Because if I, I was capped for them, it meant I wasn't eligible for the US when I moved over. So, yeah, you know, wow, so okay. things like that, you know, all that adversity, but I've always felt like 
things happen, you know, when they're meant to happen and um, you, you should still give it a go, you know, like always keen to, and mm-hmm. luckily my friends were all like-minded. So we're all like, yeah, there's a camp happening down the road. So we'd all just show up and just with no real expectations, I think like a lot of it was just for fun and right. just to hang out. <laughs> Shooting your shot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, what are, I guess, some of your most memorable moments as a rugby player? If if you could pick like two or three or you have a right? bunch that just stands out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, a common, a common thing I loved was convincing someone to come and have a go and seeing them fall in love with it too, you know? That's probably one of my favorites as a player. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but I, I think when we were preparing for the World Cup, our game against New Zealand um, and Ireland, uh, you know, me being Samoan and raised in New Zealand and captain in the US team, I felt like I had this insight on how to prepare yeah. for the haka, right? Because again, being at the receiving end of a haka is such a such an honor and I think if you don't understand it you can sort of interpret it in your own way you know um you can be intimidated by it exactly yeah Yeah. exactly so me knowing that like having that privilege of growing up with it and understanding it I thought I had this responsibility as a captain to I want to share with the U.S. team go hey look this is actually what they're doing you know and I and I wanted to to figure out like how do we use that for us, right? Like, how do we take that energy? Because, and all I said was like, you know, all, all the New Zealanders are doing is asking for their ancestors, you know, to come through them as they prepare for battle, right? Because when oh, you play, okay. it's it's not for you, right? It's for everyone that's come before you, that's worn that jersey and you're representing, you know, um, just the legacy of that team, you know, and how, what it's been built on. So, um coming to the US and I was already done I was like <laughs> at that point too every coach that we'd come across like in New Zealand they do this and I was like I don't want to compare us to New Zealand like we're not New Zealanders here like how right. do we get the best out of the US athlete mm-hmm. playing rugby like exactly. I get it you know so I was I was getting tired of hearing about the Black Ferns <laughs> um but I get it you know they set the standard and and if you want to be the best it's about learning you know what they're good at so I actually in camp was like, can we just use UConn? Like, I love what they do. They're an American team, it's women. They're like the best statistically as well, you know, in terms of winning. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, just trying to find an American comparison. So that was my whole thought process to get to the Hakka. So um, mm. I love, I, me- I remember this and it's one of my favorite ones because we, we asked Richie Walker, who's, a, who's also a New Zealand Māori, you know, he, he was coaching the U.S. Women's Sevens team at the time, right? And he was at camp okay. with us. So I said to okay. him, hey, Richie, I was like, do you mind doing the haka for the girls tonight? <laughs> and we went, and he's wow. like, sweet. Yeah, so we went under the car park, and it echoes, you know. And I explained uh-huh. to the girls, you know, what we need to do. And legally, by law, you know, for uh, world rugby laws, you can't advance on the haka, right? Well, you can't go past the 10 meter mark so okay. you have to yeah, yeah. so um so I was like we're gonna start on the 15 and we're gonna come up five by law and this is again how I how we play too right it's like knowing what the laws are and stretching it <laughs> so we can right. still we can still approach it and and be respectful and go yep we accept the battle but what would that look like for us so 
So mm-hmm. as Richie did it, you know, I was like, hey, while, while they're doing their haka, I want you to think about your ancestors, your people, right? Who's brought you here and who are you playing for? So it was like a beautiful, beautiful, like, moment. And I love it more and more in hindsight, right, when I think about it. Because at the time, we're always just trying to think of, like, just, like, what do we need today, you know, to right. get through just this next step, what's in front of us. So, yeah, when mm-hmm. we did the haka, and usually we are, we do the national anthem with just our jerseys on, but for this, we, we thought we'd wear our red, white, and blue jacket, right? So we took, right. so they did the haka, we came up, the audience went, were like, ooh. Like, I don't know if it was booing or ooing, but people were just like, yo, the US just walked up, you know, onto uh, while, the, while the Kiwis are doing their... Um, the traditional haka so and then we took the jacket off because for me it was like it's important for us to like have something to like shake it off right to reset and like right ah oh, that will probably be one of my favorite favorite moments like we were up in this in the first half that game it was crazy um wow. against yeah against mm-hmm. like the favorites and um yeah i i was very very when I think about moments and sharing and, you know, and again, like educating, like that U.S. squad were just a different squad understanding that. Right. And then they, they also had this respect for New Zealand and what they're doing too. So, um, right. yeah. And then my, sorry. So that was one of my favorites. And my ultimate, ultimate favorite was um, mm. coming back from the world cup, playing for New York rugby club again and playing for the championship and winning by one point. And Gio, Gio actually was the MVP Ooh. from that game. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. He talked to me about that game. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, and, you know, <laughs> and it's like a movie, right? Like, looking at comparing the rosters, we had no right to win that game. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at personnel, right? Um, just names. Um, but I knew we had it. Like, I'm all about character. And, and I think as a, as a captain, that team um, with what? those women were able to display not only for the game you know to show good rugby but like to do right. it in a way that's like uh beyond resources you know like because we also were the team that weren't funded we we're playing against a team that's fully funded right players who exactly. don't have to worry about flights right against mm-hmm. my like our team who were like scrambling week by week like how who's coming to Atlanta who can afford this flight you know that's how that's our season <laughs> um right. yeah so it was awesome so that that's probably one of my favorites now what what deeper you didn't touch on it um what what position do you did you play or do you play exactly <laughs> um so I grew up uh mostly in the backs like I was a utility um mm-hmm. and with my rugby league background I I was like a, a physical back right so I mostly hung around like 12, so inside center and eight man. Um, okay. Yeah. And then as I, but for the US and coming over here, you know, I'm a, I'm a lot bigger than most players. So um, the US coach took me on as a front rower, as a prop. Got it. Yeah. Loose head and then back. became tight head by that time <laughs> as at the World Cup. Nice, nice. Um, so you obviously ended up having a lot of experience coaching a lot of different teams. Um, you know, notably you became the first female coach, um, to coach men's U S pro rugby. And so, you know, I guess when you were hired for that position, what goals did you have in mind, uh, for your position with that team? 
Yeah. Oh man. Um that was yeah, that was huge and you know, I'll I'll always be grateful for uh you know, Rugby United just giving me that opportunity and seeing that, you know, seeing that the need to that there weren't women coaching at that level. Um but for me my goal was always like how to be better, right? So um we knew that because you know, I was coming on as the assistant, but I couldn't travel with the team. So it was like tricky with Mike and Keys, who were just trying to to teach me, you know, all that they could do. I mean, teach me all they could, but there just wasn't a lot of time. So it was a lot of observing um, and asking a lot of questions, you know. So, yeah, just learning loads, learning um, just how Keys, you know, him and his set pieces, because, again, like me as a coach, I'm still trying to, establish like what like whether I want to be an offensive coach you know set piece coach defensive coach so I was trying to learn it all (laughs) um and also yeah and then obviously there's there's politics too you know like again like the title that you mentioned was like a huge wake-up call for me and I was like whoa how am I this person (laughs) you know and and how is this only happening now you know so there was there's a lot of like navigating just through the big picture of things um but my goal is sorry yeah sorry no I was gonna say I saw that ESPN even reached out to you for an interview and yeah the headline was first female coach in men's U.S. pro rugby and I'm like you know when I saw it I was like wow I actually never never knew this yeah and and it was actually like first ever not just in the U.S. Like it's not happened internationally that a woman, yeah, that a, that a woman's coach pro rugby men's. So yeah, my goal was to get in there and, and there's a little bit of like proving, you know, like I felt like a bit responsible for women, for female coaches out there. And I was like, also uh, just, yeah, a little bit uh, shocked, right? Cause I was coached by women growing up great women you know and and I've seen women coach men through club and all sorts of levels so yeah that that was very very surprising for me that this particular opportunity had not opened up before um but yeah back to your question just learning learning loads like I I know I want to be a coach I want to be a great coach I'm super paranoid about being that athlete that can't coach you know (laughs) um but yeah it's it was a good time it was great yeah I mean and you see that a lot with athletes that go into coaching after their careers and I can imagine like you know you do have that advantage of playing the game so you you know what you're talking about and you can relate to the players um in better ways than coaches who didn't play can but you know I also feel like it's a challenge making that transition from um playing to coaching is it did you find any challenges? Oh, absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. like learning that I knew, you know, um, that a lot of the successful coaches all have a teaching background, right? So I know that, okay. like, as much as you know the game, if you can't communicate that, right, or if the people in front of you can't, don't understand exactly. or can't re- aren't receiving the information you're giving, I, mm-hmm. that I know, like I knew enough that that was the piece to, to be an effective coach. 
that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a whole other dynamic to it. Yeah. If you're a player, it, it you know you still have it's like it's like a new and totally new field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I've met coaches who are very successful, like the Lindenwood coach who have won championships. He never played a rugby game in his life. He's he's coaching mm-hmm. off the book. So I I I can like I cannot acknowledge and and it's fascinating, you know, just that that side of coaching so definitely struggles you know definitely in terms of me uh having to see the game from a different point of view right and having to teach it using language that I've not used on myself before because I was a player (laughs) so Mm. but it's fun you know I I enjoy the challenge of teaching I ask for a lot of feedback almost to my detriment you know like sometimes like okay guys like (laughs) give me give me some slack but you know, I, yeah, you know, I'm not scared of, uh, yeah, of showing people go, hey, look, we're all going to go through this together, you know, while we're all in our roles, like, let's see how we can go about it the best way possible. And I think, uh, I think my advantage of being an athlete first is understanding the trust that you have to have in your coaches. So being able to empathize with athletes on mm-hmm. how important that relationship is and how important that integrity is for you to really get to the to the best of the athlete right um how important mm-hmm. it is to to show vulnerability you know so all of those skills that i felt made me respond well to a coach and also what i didn't respond well to from a coach like those sorts of things i think um also helped me i can take from my playing days to help me as a coach Facts, facts for sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do you think, in your opinion, needs to happen for the game of rugby to continue to grow um, in America? Yeah. Mm, uh, definitely more uh, aiming for the youth level, you know. Um, and again, like, it's this could be me being biased but because growing up from New Zealand I had a ball in my hands like from the age of 10 upwards you know and only because I just moved there when I was 10 but everyone else had the ball in their hands from their five six you know so I definitely yeah I definitely think uh that a lot more resources needs to go to the um community level you know um but then I, I I agree. I think both things need to be happening, right? So what MLA doing is is putting us in spaces we've not been before, you know, as a sport. So that definitely needs to happen. Um, but then, yeah, at the back end, for us to complement the efforts, you know, that were you know of the MLA and WPL and all those leagues that are, you know, trying to make a professional sport, and and show how you know rugby is the power of rugby, right? To, unite and bring people together and again it's it's not an expensive sport you know it should be more accessible so I think looking at the processes and the systems that we have in place and and really identifying like is it accessible to people who you know is it as accessible as we think it is you know in all the areas um and then figuring out like how we can make sure that we're more it's it is more accessible um but just Promoting it in a, um, yeah, in in a different way. We need to change the image of rugby at the moment. At the moment, as as much as people like ourselves, we talk about how inclusive it is because we've experienced it ourselves. 
it's still very exclusive in certain ways, you know? So yeah, I think if we can somehow, uh, you know, make some changes in certain areas to get more people in, I think uh, that'll help continue this momentum. I hear you. I hear you. Um, so in your opinion, and uh, we're kind of wrapping up here, how far do you think um, the game of rugby is from seeing more breakthroughs with women in the sport, um, whether that's in the U.S. or outside of the U.S.? You know, how far are we from seeing more women take on the role, like sort of roles that you've taken on in your career? Oh, I mean, I think what was really cool about, you know, Rooney and MLA, um, you know, having me in this position is you started noticing other sports starting to look at, reflect on their own programs, right? They started looking at the table going, whoa, do we, why do we not have women here? Or like, you know, how can we get more women and, and diversify, you know, the little groups, especially those making those sorts of decisions. Um, but I think there's, because, you know, those seeds have been planted and, and there's lots more conversations around it and more accountability, a lot of things are starting to change. World Rugby are starting to come forward with initiatives that, you know, that are specific for upskilling, you know, female athletes, female rugby coaches, coach educators. I think the World Rugby 2025 uh, announcing that they're going to extend it to 16 teams is huge for the game, you know, so um, promoting, you know, giving other nations opportunities to create programs within their own, you know, domestic programs so they can start elevating players and bringing teams to represent their countries, I think is huge. So more opportunities for aspiration, you know, for players and coaches to aspire to be something, um, positions that didn't, weren't necessarily within their realm, you know, 10 years ago. I think now that we're starting to see people in these roles, um, more people will start thinking about it, you know, and start being motivated uh, and, and maybe they'll make them more goals for themselves, right? If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does, it does. And look, I mean, you're a huge inspiration um, to women out there who want to get involved with the sport or, or who are involved with the sport. And hopefully they can listen to this and gain some insight or anybody can listen to this and gain some insight because I know I've learned a lot from you um, from this interview. So just thank you again um, for doing this. We, I guess we're wrapping up um, just about now. And um, yeah, I mean, this was this was very insightful and thank you. Yeah, no, of course. And um, hey, look, congratulations on on you with this podcast. You know, I know we only really met briefly because you joined the program towards the end. But um, yeah, I want you to like, you know, keep going at it. I really appreciate you having me on here. And um, yeah, anything you need in the future, just uh, just let me know. Awesome stuff from the great Tiffany Fay. It was a pleasure having her on and getting to learn more about her career. And I actually have a lot of pretty special guests planned for you guys coming up in the future and in the new year. So definitely stay tuned on this new season of the Believe in Rugby podcast show. As always, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And feel free to hit me up on Instagram, on Twitter, if you have any cool ideas for the show, guys. And with that being said, 
can't wait to come back with more content for everybody so peace out for now listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.